Uh, hey, I'm, I'm very excited uh, this morning um, to not be preaching and to be sitting under the preaching of my good friend, uh, Chris Gaynor. Um, if you watch the video uh, that we put together, early on in the video, we talked about uh, the Summit Church. So the Summit Church is a church down in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they were a huge part of the planting of this church. And so Chris uh, is a pastor on staff there at the Summit. You've been there longer than anybody. 36 years. 36 years. Uh, and so uh, Chris has been a huge piece of this church behind the scenes. Um, I'll never forget when my wife and I showed up in Raleigh to start a training program there. Um, and we were pretty beat up. We had gone through something really, really hard. And Chris was, he just ministered to our souls. He pastored us so well. He encouraged us. Um, he kept us, uh, he kept the desire alive to stay in ministry. And um, so he's just been such a, um, a blessing to me and to Kim and to our family. And so he's also been a blessing to our staff team and to our pastors through the years as he's just been an encouraging voice, a mentor. And so I'm so excited to get you here and preach. He's one of my favorite preachers in the world. And so Chris, thanks for being here. Amen. I love you, man. Love you too. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Cool. Please do. God, I'm just so thankful um, for the people that you bring into our lives mm -hmm. who just have this ministry of encouragement and have this ministry of uh, pointing you to the Lord and pointing you to his goodness and reminding you that he's trustworthy. And Chris has absolutely done that in my life. And God, I'm so grateful that he's gonna get to do that for all of us this morning. And so I just pray that as he uh, leads us to your throne this morning with your word, uh, Lord, I just pray you'd give him joy. Um, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would use his words to encourage us, to challenge us, to grow us. And uh, God, I just pray that as he just steps into that place of being able to be your mouthpiece, that he would just feel the overwhelming joy of being a vessel used by you. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Patty. Um, so I didn't know that Alan was gonna do this little uh, sign up, you need to serve thing before I started preaching. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to lock the back doors and I'm just gonna preach until all the volunteer slots are filled, okay? We can do this easy or uh, we can do it the hard way. Uh, I need to tell you, I got a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and I'm used to playing hardball. Um, y'all laugh because you think I'm joking. I'm like, the doors are legit locked, y'all. We're not going anywhere. Let me just say this to you. Um, most of you know this. Um, y'all, the church is a body and it doesn't function unless every part of the body plays their part, their role. And I can pretty much tell you without any hesitation that your role is not to sit and watch. It is to give yourself holy. So I wanna encourage you, do that for your own sake. Uh, we were in fact having a conversation last night with Alan and Kim and Evan and Stacy uh, about our own engagement in our own church. And my wife said, my community is the people I serve with. Uh, so if you wanna experience deeper community, uh, deeper connection, deeper relationships, deeper, deeper engagement in the body of Christ, uh, sign up and serve. And I will say this, 
If you don't have children that are in childcare, you absolutely should be back there uh, helping. Uh, you know, if your children, if you had them and they survived, then you're, you're okay. You, you can help, all right? Um, y'all, what a great day for me to, oh, let me start this because I have no idea. There's no countdown clock here that I can find. I have one at home, so it tells me, you know, starts flashing red when I need to be quiet and sit down. But um, um, a day like today, y'all, is so important. It, it's, it's not about... Um, patting ourselves on the back. It's not about patting uh, Alan on the back or anybody else who was here in the beginning. It's not about glorying in what we've accomplished, right? It's about remembering what God has done because the honest truth is it's easy to forget, right? It's easy to forget what God has done. In fact, um, when Nick began with that passage from Exodus 15, if you were in the room, uh, which I would also say, y'all need to get in the room quicker, all right? You need to get here quicker. Um, when, when he began with that passage, I, I thought, you know, but what happened? What happened to Israel? Do you remember what happened to Israel? If you read the Old Testament, you'll find that over and over again, the scriptures say they forgot they, they forgot, they had a moment of celebrating God's work in their life, of, of recognizing his hand on their behalf, but they forgot. And what happened when they forgot? They went astray. They abandoned the Lord their God. And so days like this are so important because they help us remember, they help us mark the work of God in our lives. And that is what fuels and should fuel our faith and our obedience and our diligence and our endurance and our confidence and our reliance on God. This morning, I want us to look at a story from the Old Testament that pictures for us that very thing. I've been reading through uh, the book. In fact, I just finished Second Chronicles, and I, I find it so fascinating because Second Chronicles is this sort of history of the kings of uh, Judah, and you see this cycle of dependence and reliance and faith and obedience, king after king. And then you will often see those very same kings start well, but end badly. You will see them give birth to sons who will not walk in their ways. And then you will see evil kings whose sons do. And in all of it, you see this wonderful picture of what God is trying to remind us is essential and important if we're going to walk with God. If we're going to walk with God. If, Grace Hill, if you're going to walk with God as a people of God, you're gonna to have to depend on God. And that dependence has got to be fueled by the recognition of what God does. Husband, wife, father, mother, man, woman, teenager, child. If you're gonna walk with God, you're gonna to have to have your faith uh, fueled by an awareness of what God has done and a faithfulness to that. So uh, I wanna encourage you that this morning. And in, in, in that attempt, I want us to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 
Second Chronicles chapter 14. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I wanna encourage you to open there. We're gonna focus in on uh, just a couple of verses, but I, I wanna see if I can tell you the story without having to read it all. Asa uh, becomes king in Judah. And Asa, the scripture says, does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He serves the Lord his God. He walks in the ways of the kings uh, of Judah who have obeyed God. He, he makes worship of God a priority. He gets rid of idols and high places and Asa leads the people of God to worship and serve God. And Asa experiences, the scripture tells us, about 10 years of peace. It's going well for him because he's walking in the ways of God. And then all of a sudden, Without any explanation, uh, an enemy king draws up against him. In fact, the scripture says it this way. It says that in Judah, there were 300,000 men of uh, fighting men with large swords. And in Benjamin, there were 280,000 with small, sword, uh, small shields. And then Zerah the Cushite comes up against Judah, comes up against Asa and his armies. And the scripture just says, he's got thousands upon thousands upon thousands. He's got gajillions. He's got way more than they can count. And so we know from this passage that, that Asa and the armies of Judah are up against a formidable foe. So Asa goes out, he draws out to do battle and then the scripture says this. If you have it, look, look at uh, this verse, verse 11, 2 Chronicles 14, 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. What happens? Verse 12, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar for the terror of the Lord had fallen upon them. They looted all these villages. Since there was much plunder there, they also attacked the camps of the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. And then they returned to Jerusalem. You understand what happened here? Asa leaned into God. And God won a great victory on his behalf. That should have been, that should have been a marker for Asa. It should have been something to, to increase his faith and confidence and reliance on God. But two chapters later, in 2 Chronicles 16, after another season of peace, another army draws up to do battle with Asa and the people of Judah. And this time, it goes very differently. 
In fact, 2 Chronicles 16 will tell us that what happens is that Judah goes into the temple and he draws out all the gold in the temple and he draws from his own personal treasury and Judah and Asa uses those funds to strike an alliance with a foreign king. And he calls on this foreign king to break his alliance with the army that's come against Judah And he's counting on this king and his forces to deliver him. Now, wait a minute. Wait wait a minute. Where did this come from? What what happened? What, What is it that caused Asa to develop this strategy? And can I just say to you, church, that it's very possible that you and I collectively and personally will often find ourselves in the same place as Asa, where instead of relying on God, we rely on our resources and our strategies. Oh, we've been here before. We've done this. We know how to do this hey, we got some money now. We don't have to beg. We, we can pay off some people. We can, we can make this happen. We've got resources and strategies and we can work this out. And Judah makes, and Asa makes this alliance. But then, then, then a prophet comes to, to speak to, to Asa. And in verse seven of Second Chronicles 16, he says this, because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. Now, no, wait just a second. Aram was not the, key, was not the, the army advancing against Asa. Aram was the king with whom he had made an alliance. And here's what, here's what the prophet is saying to him. Listen. Had you trusted in the Lord your God, not only would you have defeated the army that had come against you, you would have defeated this army that you'd made an alliance with. But because you trusted in them, they've escaped your hands. Then verse eight, he says, were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. What happened? I submit to you that Asa forgot. He forgot what God had done. Unless you think, church, that will never happen to me, I will certainly remember the things that I've seen God do. Let me say to you that forgetting what God has done is not passive. It's not something that just happens to us. You don't just fall into forgetfulness. You see, forgetting what God has done is the result of not actively remembering what he has done. You see, that's why it's so essential and important that you and I mark the work of God in our life, that we take note of his deliverance of us. When we remember his provision and his protection, when we see God take territory in our own hearts, when we see God work in our family members and friends and community, y'all, we need to mark it down and we need to come back time and time again and we need to recount it and we need to say it to ourselves because that is what leads us to trust and rely on God in the future. 
I will submit to you that some of you have seen God do mighty things in your life and you've already forgotten them. Or at least you've forgotten the details of them because you haven't actively remembered. So I wanna say to you, these moments are essential and important corporately and personally because they fuel our faith in God. What's different between 2 Chronicles 14 and 2 Chronicles 16 is one very simple thing that I wanna call your attention to today, and that is this. When Asa came up the first time to a battle, he prayed. The second time, he did not. So the first thing I wanna tell you, church, today is that prayer is a primary way that we rely on God. Prayer is a primary way that we rely on God. It's not just how we demonstrate our reliance. It's not just speaking our devotion to God. It is the very thing that gives evidence that we are relying on God. Now, now let me say this to you. It is possible to pray and not rely on God. Praying doesn't mean that you are trusting God. But here's what I can tell you. Not praying is a pretty sure sign that you are not trusting in God. You see, nothing says, I've got this. I I can handle this. This will all just work out. We're okay. I I can do this. Nothing says that quite like prayerlessness. Prayerlessness actually reveals our lack of faith, our lack of trust, our lack of dependence Prayerlessness screams, I can do this. I I can handle it. So church, I I wanna remind you that it's essential that corporately you pray and call out to God. When you come up against hardship and difficulty, when you wrestle with being the body of Christ, of living in community, of considering others more important than yourselves, as hard as that is, it's essential that when you come up against those things, you submit yourself to God in prayer and you call out to him. Because Jesus said, hey, apart from me, you can't do anything anything. We have to corporately lean on God. But let me just tell you something. That's not just true corporately. It's true personally. When you and I face difficulty and hardship, when we come against pain and disappointment in our lives, it's absolutely essential if we're gonna walk by faith that we cry out to God, that we call on him, that we refuse the urge to turn in and try to handle it ourselves. I don't think anything has uh, pressed this in on me quite as much as parenting teenagers. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I know you're gonna look at me and say, wait a minute, those are your kids, not your grandkids? Um, No, they're they're my children. They're my boys. I'm 63 with a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. I don't know who thought that was a great idea. (laughs) But I'm gonna tell you something, that trying to shepherd those two boys and lead them to Jesus and call them to be men of God, to show respect and kindness to their mother, to, to be kind to their peers, to 
to walk in a way that's different from the way of the world. Nothing in all my life has exposed my inadequacy quite like that. I'm not up for this. I I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I I don't know how I got to this point and and didn't realize that parenting was as hard as it really is. It's a frightful thing. It's a, it's a fearful thing. And, and, yet, and yet my tendency sometimes is to press into what I know, into what I think I can do. It's to get books and talk to people and try to develop strategies and call on my resources. And, and all of that is well and good. And I need to be the best parent I can be. But let me just tell you something. At the end of the day, I'm not going to parent my kids to Jesus. No man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. You see, salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It's not my work. I didn't save myself by my works. I'm not gonna save my children by my works. And I am utterly and completely dependent and reliant on God to do that. I don't know what it is for you that makes you feel inadequate, but I wanna say to you that when you come to that place, to that realization that you aren't enough, that you can't do it, you don't know how to handle it and you can't work it out and you can't ensure that what you long for is actually going to happen, that's a good thing as long as you press into Jesus and lean into him in prayer. So the first thing I wanna say to you is that prayer is a primary way we rely on God. It's a primary way we rely on God. But the other beautiful thing that I see in this passage is not just that prayer is the way we rely on God. The prayer of Asa, actually, I think, as simple as it is, just four short lines shows us how to pray in a way that leads us to dependence, but also positions us for great faith and great trust in God. So I want us to look there this morning at this particular prayer, 2 Chronicles 14, uh, I think it's verse 11. Is that right? Yeah, verse 11. All right, the first thing Asa said is, is this, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Does that, does that remind you of what, we, of what Nick read earlier? Well, what did Moses say? Moses said, after the victory over the Egyptians, there's nobody like you. Who's like the Lord our God? There's nobody like him. And Asa says here, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Listen, historically, weaker nations were conquered by stronger nations. None of their gods were able to deliver them. But there was one nation who had been helped time and time again by their God the nation of Israel, the people of God. Surely Asa was remembering the Exodus. Surely in this moment, he was calling up how God had delivered the weak and oppressed nation of Israel from slavery to Pharaoh and bondage to the armies of Egypt. Or maybe he was recalling the march around Jericho and how God delivered the the nations of Canaan, the cities and fortresses of Canaan to Israel for their possession. Or, Or maybe it's just possible that he was remembering this puny little shepherd boy, David, who goes out with just a slingshot and a few stones against a mighty giant man of war, Goliath. 
Listen, Asa knew that God was strong and powerful, that no one could stand against him. And he knew not just that God was strong and powerful, but he knew that God's heart was for the weak and the oppressed, the afflicted, the downtrodden, the broken. God's bent that way. He knew that God had a heart for for those people. He knew that God had a soft spot for the underdog and was more than able to act in his defense. Listen, Asa wasn't just counting on God's ability. He was counting on God's character. You see, when we come to pray, if we're going to express and cultivate reliance and dependence and faith on God, we've got to pray in a way that exalts the character of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get in hard places, I'm tempted to malign the character of God. I'm I'm tempted to doubt the heart of God. Does the enemy whisper to me, is God really that good? Does he really love you? Will he really fight for you? Will, Will God really do this for you? Is that really who God is? You see, in difficulty and hardship, we aren't naturally predisposed to believe the heart of God for us. Am I only, am I the only person in the room who's asked the question, does God really love me? Okay, we can admit that, right? We're we're bent that direction to doubt and disbelieve the love of God for us. And yet Asa here calls it up. There's nobody like you, God, who has a heart for his people to help the weak against the strong. I, I don't want you to miss this. Throughout this prayer, Asa acknowledges his own weakness and vulnerability. He, he's aware of how bad the situation is, but he doesn't lose heart because he doesn't focus his attention on his circumstances. He focuses his attention. He sets his mind and his heart on the greatness and goodness of God. Listen to me, y'all. Many of us in the room today are just overwhelmed with the difficulties that we face and we're overwhelmed because we focus on them. We focus on them. We fixate on them. We can describe every single detail of whatever difficulty we're encountering. We know it intimately. And the problem is that we don't so intimately and beautifully know the character of God the heart of God. I need to say to you, listen, stop gazing at your trouble and start gazing on the greatness of God. That's why David would say in the middle of Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Y'all, we need to learn to look at Jesus and see the beauty and glory of the character of God. Praying won't help you rely on God unless your praying exalts the character of God. How many of you today know that you're up against a foe bigger than you can handle on your own? Let's talk big picture here, right? How many of you are aware of the magnitude of the fight we are in as the people of God? As the people of God, we're, we're in a war that's really bigger than many of us know. If you just think about it for a millisecond, the satanic attack on our culture will, will really just take your breath away. Like, how, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where things that are so ungodly have become primary in our culture? 
There, there are plenty of days that I wonder that and many of the convictions that we hold as followers of Jesus are really under full-scale attack in our culture. And how in the world are we supposed to fight that? How do we stand up against that? How do you reach people and make disciples in that kind of environment? Or consider just the sheer size of the task. Grace Hill Church. Look at how many people are in the room and think about how many people there are in Herndon or in the greater DC area. How in the world are you going to reach and impact your community with the gospel? We're we're definitely in the minority. We're definitely in the minority and the task is huge and and the enemy is formidable. But let me say this, you can and will have kingdom impact. I believe that. I believe that because it was God's heart to place you here. God put you here strategically for his purposes, not just for you, but because he loves the people of Herndon and Northern Virginia. God has a heart to draw people to himself. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. God's heart is to work through you to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's not willing that any should perish. The scripture tells us he doesn't take any delight in the death or destruction of the wicked. He wants all to come to repentance. So much so that Jesus came and laid down his life. Y'all, that's the clearest picture we have of the heart of God for us. He is for us. He is not against us. And his longing is to do us good. It is the character of good, of God. But you you know what? For, For some of us today, it's not so much about the big picture as it is in the personal battles. Places in your personal life where you know that the enemy has come against you. We know, we know, right? Jesus told us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anybody in the room today struggle with temptation, feel overwhelmed by the things that press in on you and call out to you, whether it's pornography or whether it is materialism or whether it is just nurturing your own self-image in front of a watching world. Anybody struggle to feel like the fight against Satan to do what's right and humble yourself before God is overwhelming? The fight for holiness is real, y'all. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 13 will say, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as as is common to man. And God is is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. You see, the heart of God is to give you victory over temptation. Escape from the clutches of Satan. Escape from bondage to sin. How about our kids? Surely you know that Satan wants to steal your kids. Surely you know that that Satan wants to possess this next generation. Are you aware of that? Are you watching? Do you see him at work around us? And it feels like the assault on them is coming from every direction. Listen, it's, it's all too much, but you and I won't rely on God in prayer unless we remind ourselves that God cares far more about our holiness than we do, and he loves our kids more than we could ever love them. 
Church, when we pray, we got to stir up faith and hope by remembering and calling out the heart and the character of God. That's what Asa does. Lord, there's none like you to help the weak against the strong. You're that kind of God. You have a heart for the weak. You know us, and yet you don't turn away from us. You run to us. The second thing that Asa focuses on in his prayer is this. I'm gonna call it the sufficiency of God. Look at the next phrase. He says, help us, Lord, our God, for we rely on you. Help us, Lord, our God, for we rely on you. He's claiming this relationship with a God that he believes to be trustworthy and sufficient, enough for the battle that he faces. This is a desperate cry for help accompanied by a declaration of complete dependence. You see, the word translated rely here really could probably better be translated lean. So it would read like this, help us, Lord, our God, for we lean on you. It's a rare word in the Old Testament. In fact, the other place that I know it occurs is in 2 Samuel 1.6. There, the word is used to describe a wounded Saul leaning on his sword. I want you to think just a moment for about that. Saul's been mortally wounded in battle. All of his strength is gone. He's been overtaken and overcome. And the only thing Saul can do is rest the entirety of his weight on his sword. He leans on his sword. It's the same word Asa used in this prayer. Lord, our God, help us because we lean on you. We're resting all of our weight on you. Our only hope of standing is Jesus, our rock. I don't know if you sing it here. I've sung it all my life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean. On Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Back in January, I memorized a verse that I came across in in actually a, 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 a season of prayer we were doing as a church. Jude 124, it says this, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. Y'all, I memorized that because I needed to remind myself that God was enough to keep me. He was sufficient to sustain me, that God himself would be the one that keeps me believing and sustains my path and keeps me headed towards him. And he is the one who one day will present me before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. Y'all, I don't keep myself believing. I don't keep myself on the path. I will surely not present myself he will do it. He is sufficient for all of that. So Asa prays and rests in and relies on the sufficiency of God. The third thing he does is that he focuses on the authority of God. Asa focuses on the authority of God. The phrase is this, and in your name, Asa said, we have come out or we have come against this vast army. 
Again, Asa acknowledges the situation here. He's not making light of it. He's not dismissing the size of the foe that has come against him. He acknowledges it. He's aware of his own weakness. And so he says, in your name. He's not saying, he's not coming out with his own name. Asa's not waving his own flag. Asa's not counting on his ability or his forces or his strength. He's saying, hey, I'm coming as an agent of God Almighty. I'm coming in the name of the Lord against this vast army. There's no pep talk here. He's not shouting to his boys, hey, we got this. We can handle this. We know what to do. We've been here before. Just believe in yourself. No, no, Asa. Asa is leaning into the authority of God. He's recognizing this for what it is. I could not read that without thinking about David as he approached Goliath. Do you remember this story? Little shepherd boy David comes out against giant Goliath, man of war with massive sword and shield and dagger. And this puny, ill-equipped shepherd boy is carrying a slingshot and a few stones and he's coming out to fight. It's an epic mismatch. But none of that matters because David's not counting on that. And this is what he shouts to Goliath. You come against me with sword and shield, sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David is in essence saying to Goliath, this is not about me and my ability. It's not about me and my ability. I'm coming out here not on the basis of who I am and what I can do. This is about God. It's in his name. It's under his authority. This is about him and what he can do. He's coming in the name of Jesus. In fact, it reminds me that Jesus would say to his disciples, if you ask anything in my name, you'll know that you have what you asked. It's that authority. It's coming under the, it's coming under the authority and by the relationship with Jesus. You see, the battle, y'all, we face is not our battle. It's not about us. It's about the advance of God's kingdom in us. It's about his work in us and it's under his authority. When the enemy comes against us and what God is doing in our lives, He's in essence coming against God. And so we don't come in our own authority and our own strength. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in the name of God Almighty. David, Dave, um, Asa is calling up and calling on the authority of God. But the last thing that I want you to see here is that Asa appeals to the promises and purposes of God. Look at the last phrase of his prayer. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Now, I'm going to be straight with you. This this could be the most confusing part of the prayer for me. Honestly, how are we going to suggest here that mere mortals can, can prevail against this God who is like no other? Wait, wait a minute, is, is he confused? Is he doubting? Is he questioning? What, what's happening here? 
But here's what I want you to see. King Zerah and his army have come to conquer Judah and oust them from their homes and their land. He's come to take from Judah what God had given them, what God had promised them. Again, do you remember what Nick read in Exodus 15 this morning as we began worship? Moses prophesying that the children of Israel would not just come out of Egypt under the deliverance of God, but they would march into the promised land and they would take that land and they would take those cities. In fact, the scripture says in one place that God's gonna give them houses they did not build and they're gonna eat the fruit of vineyards they did not plant and they're gonna live in cities that they did not construct. You see, what's happening here is that Asa is acknowledging that what this enemy king is trying to do is undo or steal or take away or come against the express promise and purposes of God. Asa was appealing to those revealed promises and purposes. He's saying to God, no, 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 no. Don't let this enemy king prevail, this mortal king prevail against your almighty eternal purposes and promises for us. Makes me think of Psalm 3310, which says this, the Lord fools the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Listen to me, church. When you and I are facing hardship and difficulty, and when we feel like everything is falling apart, we absolutely must cling to the revealed purposes and promises of God. There are things that you and I try to hang on to and insist that God do that he never promised us. I'm gonna tell you straight up, I am addicted to luxury and pleasure. I like comfort and peace and ease. I mean, really, I, I feel like I was created for that. <laughs> but how many of you know that while that might be our agenda and our, our efforts might be headed that direction. That's not, that's not the promise of God. In fact, Jesus, what did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Je- Jesus didn't promise, promise us prosperity. He didn't promise you a career that would be fulfilling. He didn't promise you children that would obey. He didn't promise you ease of lifestyle. He didn't promise you abundance. He didn't promise you a nice big fat 401k that would keep going up all the way through your retirement. He didn't promise you that. God's promised you Philippians 1, 9, that what he began in you, he's gonna be faithful to carry on to completion. God's doing a work in you that is not about your physical circumstances and situation. God is using those circumstances and situations to perfect a work in your heart. Um, God is putting you in positions to reveal to you where your trust is and to lead you to trust in him. Not too long ago, I was sitting on the couch uh, one Saturday morning, having my quiet time and and praying, um, praying for my kids, my two boys. And one of the things that I pray for them is that God would give them faith. 
I really am not after with my boys, I'm not after a baptism, a decision, a date on the calendar. I, I, I'm not, that, that in, in some sense, that, that's not my goal. What I want for my boys is that they would walk by faith with Jesus for the entirety of their lives. I want them to walk into surrender. I want them to believe that God is better than anything the world has to offer them. I, I, I want them to receive by faith this entrance into relationship. I want them to live in that. I want them to give, I want God to give them faith in him. I want them to trust him, right? So I pray for that. But I'm like any of you. It's hard to watch your kids suffer and struggle. It's hard to see them disappointed. It's difficult as a man to not be able to give my kids everything they want. Anybody else in the room feel that? Like, like it's a, it, feels like a, it feels like a strike on my manhood that I can't give my kids everything they want, even though I know better. It's struggle, it's hard. And so I pray for my kids. I pray for their life. I pray for their circumstances. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Chris, you keep asking me to give you your kids faith, but then you ask me to give them the kind of life where they don't need faith. And y'all, clear as day, I heard God say to me, I can't do both. Pick one. Listen to me, church. If we're gonna walk by faith, if we're gonna trust Jesus, if we're gonna believe his good promises for us, if we're gonna wait for the eternal hope that he's offered us in Jesus, then we're gonna have to endure difficulty and hardship. We're gonna have to need that faith and trust. The, the scriptures say the righteous live by faith and not by sight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, know him and he'll make your path straight. It doesn't say he'll make your path easy. It doesn't make you say he'll make your path level. It doesn't say he'll make your path. In fact, the scriptures tell us, hey, you're gonna walk through the water, but you're not gonna be overcome. You're gonna walk through the fire, but you're not gonna be burned up. You're gonna experience difficulty and persecution and hardship, but take heart, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Church, if we're going to make it through the difficulties of life, personally and corporately, we're gonna have to believe in the eternal promises and purposes of God and stir up hope that's not about here and now. I wanna say to you on this Sunday on your fifth anniversary, you've seen God do marvelous things. You've seen people come from death to life. You've seen God answer prayer. You've seen God provide and supply. You've seen God lead and work. You've seen God move. Mark that church. Remember that because it is the reminder that God wants to work on your behalf. You've experienced this personally. You've seen God work in your own life. You've seen his provision and his protection and his deliverance and his goodness and his kindness. Mark that and express and experience and cultivate your reliance on God in the place of prayer. And when you come to pray, call out the character of God. Remember the, uh, the sufficiency of God, the authority of God and the purposes and promises of God that are eternal and never failing and lean on him, rest in him, Trust him because he's good. He's good and he's worthy 
of our faith and our trust. Would you join me and let's pray together? God, we would say to you today, like Asa said, Lord, there's nobody like you. There is nobody like you to help the weak against the strong. God, there's nobody like you who can fight on our behalf. There's nobody like you who can give us success in making disciples in Herndon, Virginia. There's nobody like you, God, who can help the weak against the strong. And so, Lord, our God, help us because we're relying on you. We're, we're leaning on you and in your name and under your authority and for your purposes and your promises, we've come to fight against this enemy who's come to fight against us. God, we trust you, we rely on you, and we ask you in Jesus' name, God, would you do all that's in your heart to do in us and through us and for us, for the sake of your own name and for your own glory. God, would you move, we pray, amen.